you have your Bibles this morning, go with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It'll be on the screen. And then stay there in Ephesians. We're going to go over to verse chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. And I don't have a catchy title or a contemporary title for this message this morning. I have a very simplistic title that I believe is a very truthful title. There is power in the blood of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 through 13. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of of Christ. Christy Winkler writes, the blood of Jesus provides the only solution to my greatest problem. I was born into a fallen world, resigned to participate in a degenerate existence with no hope of recovery. The pain of sin and death immediately attached itself to me and put into perpetual motion the ravages of death, each day drawing me closer to my eternal demise. Even my own will separated from God, would be owned by my greatest enemy to disseminate deceit and seal my own fate. Apart from the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ, I was doomed. But God demonstrated his own love for me in that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me, Romans 5, 8. My biggest problem solved. I believe it's important today to understand that there is power in the blood of Jesus. There's a classic old hymn that we sang a little bit of it this morning that we sing that teaches this wondrous truth. I think one of the disadvantages of not singing some of the great hymns of the faith is that they teach us great theological truths that we need to help us in our walk of faith, in our walk with the Lord. But listen to these powerful words that said, Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. And I love this one. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. I want you to notice the words the songwriter uses. He uses the word wonderful. There's wonderful power in the blood. He uses this word. There's wonder working power in the blood. He uses the word free and the word cleansing. I've come this morning simply to tell you there is still power in the blood in the year 2019. Can somebody say amen? Now, why preach about the blood in a technologically advanced society? And I was looking at all they're saying about the moon landing and uh, the, I think it was Apollo 11 and the anniversary of all that happened. And they said that your iPhone, the phone that you have in your pocket today, is more powerful than the computer that they use to take them to the moon. So we live in a very technologically advanced society. Now, most folks don't know how to work all that technology that we have, but it's there for us if we can figure it out. But why why would we preach about blood? 
Well, many would say that this kind of teaching is kind of archaic. It's outdated. True Christianity is viewed as some kind of primitive, blood-stained religion. And some years ago, some of the great classical denominations took those songs out of the hymn book that had blood in them. They said, we don't want to sing anymore about the blood because we live in, a, in an evolving society and, a, and an educated society, and we don't need to talk about the blood any longer. So I believe people today are so deceived that they just think they can choose to come to God any way that they desire. But the Bible teaches clearly that it is only through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the shedding of his blood that we can be cleansed of our sins. Paul McGuire writes, we live in an age of cultural relativism. The truth that God has structured the universe in such a way that we can only come to him through the blood of Jesus Christ is difficult to understand. There is wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus. Now, why is it important to teach God's people about the blood of Jesus? Well, let me give you some scriptures. I've got 20 things that the scriptures tell us, the effects, the powerful effects of the blood of Jesus Christ. Number one, my debt is paid once for all. Hebrews 9, 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear the second time apart from sin for salvation. I am justified by the blood of Jesus. Romans 5, 9 in the first part says, much more than having now been justified by his blood. I'm saved from wrath. Number three, Romans 5, 9 in the latter part of that verse says, it says that we shall be saved from wrath through him. Number four, I have a healing covenant, 1 Peter 2, 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Number five, I'm spiritually alive, John 6, 53. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in him. Number six, my judgment has been satisfied satisfied and I am at peace with God. Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Seven, I'm cleansed, 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Number eight, I have the power to overcome the enemy. Revelation 12, 11, we quoted it early. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to the death. Number nine, I've been reclaimed from the enemy. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And then notice number 10, I've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 2, 15, having disarmed principalities and powers. You know when Jesus was on the cross? When Jesus was on the cross and he cried, it is finished, I'm telling you, it was finished right then. It's not going to be finished later. It's not going to be finished in the future. It was finished then. Satan was defeated. He's a defeated foe. He disarmed principalities and powers. He showed their utter powerless compared to his power. How did he do it? Through the shed blood that flowed down on that cross and mixed with the dust of this planet and this planet became the altar of the universe and God says not only am I going to redeem you but one day I'm coming and I'm going to redeem this fallen creation and all the creation until then will groan and cry out until we see that creation we've been moved out of the kingdom of darkness and now we're in the kingdom of his dear son somebody ought to give God praise right there I love this, Romans 3, 24 and 25 says, I've been justified. That word justified comes from a 
a theological term called justification. It simply means as if I never sinned. You see, when I came to an altar at six years old and I bowed at an altar at six years old and I prayed, I didn't know anything about justification or adoption or any kind of theological term. I just knew that the Spirit of God touched me and that I was a sinner. I needed salvation and that I came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I got up, I was a new creation in Christ Jesus and my standing changed before I was a sinner. But after that, the Bible said all things become new and now I've been created in his image and his likeness and I have his blood throwing through my veins come on somebody can you say amen we've been justified hallelujah that's why you don't hear me going around saying I'm just a sinner saved by grace I was a sinner saved by grace and I'm sorry but I still believe in sanctification Number 12, I've been declared righteous. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Number 13, I'm free. Galatians 5, 1, Stand fast therefore in the liberty while with Christ has made us free and not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage or in the bondage that comes through sin. Number 14, I'm no longer condemned. Romans 8, 1, There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. I could preach there for a few minutes but I'm going to move on 15 Jesus declares that we are clean Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth number 16 I'm protected from judgment Exodus 12 27 talks about the Passover sacrifice and when the death angel came to get the firstborn of each of the Egyptians the Bible said when he saw the blood he passed over he passed over that's the bloodline come on somebody when the enemy sees the blood he has to pass over <laughs> I'm protected from judgment number 17 I'm no longer under the curse of the law Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree number 18 I'm no longer a stranger to the covenant of promise Ephesians 2 12 and 13 I'm just going to read verse 13 but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ number 19 I can enter boldly into the holy of holies I don't have to find the pastor I don't have to find my bishop I don't have to find the priest somewhere I don't have to find somebody else but in the name of Jesus I can go boldly to the throne of grace and obtain help in the time of need I mean boldly Listen, you don't charge into the Oval Office. You don't charge into the Buckingham Palace. If you do, they carry you out on a stretcher. But I want to tell you something. We can go into the very Holy of Holies. It was separated by a veil, and only the priest could go through that veil one time a year. But when Jesus cried, it is finished, the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom. Hallelujah. And there was a new and living way. And because we belong to him, because of the blood of Jesus, you and I can go boldly into the Holy of Holies. Hallelujah. Then I love this one. I'm free from a conscience defiled by guilt. I don't have to be guilty any longer. I'm free, number 20. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. My simple message is this today. There is wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus. There's power to save, power to redeem, power to lift us out of our sinful condition, power to protect us, power to heal us. We can plead the blood of Jesus in our, in our weakest moments. We can cry out. We used to sing a song some years ago, I claim the blood. I want to tell you something. This morning, I claim the blood of Jesus. This morning, I declare that the blood of Jesus is still as powerful today as it was then. But he didn't have to shed it multiple times. He only had to shed it one time. Hallelujah. But there's power in the blood. And it has to be appropriated by faith. So I want to share two things with you this morning. 
two benefits that come. We could talk all day about this, but I'm just going to do two. First of all is one called remission. Remission. Look at Ephesians 1, 7, our, our text. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1, 14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. The word remission and forgiveness are synonymous terms. It refers to a sending back, a putting away. The Bible's cyclopedic index says that forgiveness is an act of pardon. Now let me tell you about when God pardons you. If you are young, you get into trouble. I had a friend of mine and he got into trouble and later he got saved. And I remember he went to jail. And about every Sunday evening after church, me and two of my friends would go down and see him at jail. And we kept him encouraged all the time he spent that. And he got out of jail. And he went to work and he, he served the Lord. And after he was out for a little while, he went and he applied for a pardon. And they gave him a pardon and they took that jail sentence and that, that youthful indiscretion off his record. And it would no longer be on his record. But now let me tell you about a pardon you get from the government. They just take the record and they move it from this file cabinet over to this file cabinet. They forgive it, but they don't forget it. But when God pardons you, he takes it out of this filing cabinet and he throws it in the sea of forgetfulness, we call it. And he can't remember it. He cannot remember it. And it's no longer in this filing cabinet to be used against you. Now, the enemy keeps it in his filing cabinet and he'll trot it out every now and then and remind you of it. That's called condemnation. Come on, somebody. It is an act of pardon. Listen to Isaiah 43, 25. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. In Colossians 2, 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Forgiveness means that God puts away our sins. Hebrews 9, 26, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. When you're pardoned, your record is totally wiped clean. The mark against you is removed. And an Old Testament example of remission is found in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21 and 22, and it'll be on the screen. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel, all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man in the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let, the goat, let go the goat in the wilderness. On the day of atonement, the high priest would bring two goats to the tabernacle. One goat was killed and his blood was sprinkled upon the mercy seat. The other goat became the scapegoat. The high priest would lay his hands upon the head of this goat and he would then be led out and freed in the wilderness. Now tradition tells us that in the tabernacle there was a scarlet thread that was hung for all to see. And when this goat was freed in the wilderness, it would usually run off a cliff or die because of the sins transferred to it by the laying on of hands. And the scarlet thread, now according to the tradition, would then turn white. All of this is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Hebrew writer concerning these verse, writes concerning these verses in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. He says, Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. 
Forgiveness involves two things. First of all, there's remission, which refers to the act of letting something pass by. And secondly, there's forbearance, which refers to the act of holding something back. Listen to these beautiful words that Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 to 23. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every day morning great is your faithfulness it's his mercy hallelujah you see and we tend to hear about God as being a God of judgment and God as being a God who's severe but I want to tell you he's a merciful God he's a compassionate God and his mercies can be renewed every morning great is your faithfulness over the years I've had the privilege of praying with many many people and I think about one individual that came and prayed and He asked the Lord into his heart. He didn't know a whole lot about church. He just knew that he needed Jesus, and he prayed. And we would ask him, how do you feel? What are you experiencing? What do you feel like God has done? He said, I feel like God drove a truck off of my chest. What was that? He lifted that heavy burden of sin, and he felt the lightness of forgiveness. He felt that weight lift off of him. Hallelujah. How many of you remember the day Jesus saved you? How many of you remember the time when the burden of sin, that that thing rolled off of you and you experienced the joy of knowing that your sins were forgiven? I've had people tell me, I just feel clean inside, pastor. I just feel clean inside. I remember there was a gentleman in my church and today's his wife's birthday actually. And his, his mother had never served the Lord all of her life. She was getting up in years and I would go down with him and we would visit her. And they had one of them little dogs, a little pug dog. Dog wouldn't bother you if you come in. He'd let you pet him and all that. He'd just bite you when you tried to leave. He didn't want you to leave. But I remember we'd go in and we'd see her. And I would talk to her about the Lord. And I kept working on her and kept witnessing to her. And finally came to a place one day where I asked her, can I pray with you? She said, I would love to pray with you. And she prayed to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. Why did that happen? Because that son had prayed for her for many, many, many years. He was the first one in his family to get saved. And I'll never forget, after we prayed, this beautiful radiance came on her face, this beautiful smile. And I knew God has done something on the inside of this lady, and it's shining out through her face. Now listen, everybody's different. I remember some years ago, I was pastoring, and this couple, young couple, came to the altar and prayed. I mean, it was just a little short prayer. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please save me. Whatever. Other people was weeping and crying. See, we're Pentecostals. We think you got to cry and make some kind of noise, something. These two didn't make a facial expression. I mean, nothing. They just turned, they shook my hand, thanked me. They turned around, went and and sat down. And I wondered, did something happen? They're still serving the Lord today, 20-some-odd years or more later. They're still serving the Lord today. It's not in always the emotion. It's what transpires in our heart. I feel like a truck's been driven off my chest. I feel clean inside. I feel new. That's the blood of Jesus. That's true salvation. That's getting people to know who he is. I want to submit to you this morning that we're forgiven, that we experience remission because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. My second and last thought is simply this, relationship. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, our text. Therefore, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. That at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
There's one word that describes Gentiles, and it is the word without. Notice what he says. We were without Christ. We were without citizenship. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were without covenants, strangers from the covenants of promise. We were without hope. We were without God. And Warren Wearsby writes, he said, historians tell us that a great cloud of hopelessness covered the ancient world. Philosophies were empty. Traditions were disappearing. Religions were powerless to help men face either life or death. And people longed to pierce the veil and get some message of hope from the other side. But there was none. Are you ready this morning for some good news? Here's the good news. It's found in Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. What does that mean? We've been brought near. We were far off. We were without God. We were without citizenship. We were without hope. And we were really, we were really in a trouble. But we were brought near. <laughs> Actually, we've been adopted into the family of God. I've been trying to get adopted into the Rockefellers, but they won't take me, amen. We've been adopted into the family of God. Think about this. We were far off. We were outside of the covenant. We didn't really even have a family. The Bible said Satan was our father. The devil is our father. But Jesus Christ came and shed his blood. And when I appropriated that into my heart, I changed families. Hallelujah. I got a better family. Come on, somebody. I had a family that was hopeless, a family that was lost, a family in bondage, a family that offered me nothing but death. But my new father, hallelujah, in heaven owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills that the cattle stands on. And my father has made me an heir and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Every now and then that just slips out. We are part of the family of God. And listen, family can be important. Sometimes it's good to have somebody in the family that's a lawyer. Sometimes it's good to have somebody in the family that's a policeman. What is our testimony today? We're in the family of God. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. These are the reasons why the world does not know him. Romans 8, 15 through 17, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. And listen to what it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified. How many of you have experienced the blood of Jesus being applied to your heart? Say amen. In his book, Written in Blood, Robert Coleman tells the story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. The doctor explained that she had the same disease the boy had recovered from two years early. Her only chance for recovery was a transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the disease. Since the two children had the same rare blood type, the boy was the ideal donor. Would you give your blood to Mary? The doctor asked. And little Johnny hesitated. His lower lip started to tremble. Then he smiled and said, Sure, for my sister. Soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room. Mary, pale and thin. Johnny, robust and healthy. Neither spoke, but when their eyes met, Johnny grinned. As the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, Johnny's smile faded. He watched the blood flow through the tube, and with the ordeal almost over, his voice, slightly shaky, broke the silence. Doctor, when do I die? Only then did the doctor realize why Johnny had hesitated, why his lip had trembled when he had agreed to donate his blood. He thought 
He thought giving his blood to his sister meant giving up his life. And in that brief moment, he had made his great decision. Johnny, fortunately, didn't have to die to save his sister. Each of us, however, has a condition more serious than Mary's. And it required Jesus to give not just his blood, but also his life. Thank God that he did. And you and I can be saved. Will you stand with me?